Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Anytime you're in the Huntsville area, we hope you'll stop in and be part of our worship. Sunday morning worship is at 9 o'clock, with Bible class immediately following. Sunday evening worship is at 5. Midweek Bible study is held Wednesdays at 7. All right, good morning, everybody. We are, uh, we're going to get started. And uh, appreciate everyone being here this morning, looking forward uh, in continuing our discussion. I know the, uh, for those that are joining us uh, temporarily this morning, glad that, you're, glad that you're here, looking forward to your contribution to the discussion. We have been uh, studying uh, what it means to develop and apply a biblical worldview, and um, I was just talking with our with our youth members. Um, we went through we went through this uh, in our in our previous quarter, and uh, which means that they're going to know all the answers to all the questions, right? Yeah, yeah. You can see the confidence just radiating from that uh, from that corner of the uh, of the auditorium, but. Um, just a real brief, just a real brief recap for those that are that are joining midstream. Again, um, we have been uh, discussing what what a biblical worldview is, what the, what that looks like, and what that means, and um, basically summing it up as the filter through which everything uh, everything should apply. Right, everything that comes at us, everything gets processed through the filter of the scriptures. Everything that comes from us does not leave or does not get expressed without being filtered by the Scriptures. Um, we've talked about you know, those that were deemed or described as more noble in, uh, in Berea because they searched the Scriptures daily to determine if these things were true. So that's our, that's our goal. Our, um, our motto for class or our theme for class or premise or mantra or whatever, whatever you want to call it is that every spiritual question should be met and answered with a scriptural answer, um, and that has been our that has been our goal. We have uh, built that worldview on the truth that God is God, and the truth that Jesus is God, and the truth that the Holy Spirit is God, and the truth that the Holy Spirit inspired men to write what we have as the scriptures. And because of that truth, that it is authoritative and it is worth building our worldview on. Now, that's a very brief recap of the last, I don't know, four, four or five weeks. It all, it all runs together. I'm not sure how many lessons we've had because there's been, uh, there's camp involved and VBS prep and all that stuff and things get a little blurry <laughs> up here this uh, this time of year. But it's been it's been a good discussion. And, you know, the auditorium class is sometimes difficult because it doesn't always foster discussion, but uh, I'd like to remind our our new comers, our new inten- new attendees that it is a class. Uh, it's not meant to be the second sermon, so would um, there will be times where I uh, offer uh, an opportunity for input, uh, contribution of comments, you know, responses to answers. Um, if you can get a word in edgewise with the youth, because I will tell you, I will brag on them in front of them, that they are not hesitant. They are not hesitant to comment and engage in class. Now, it might be a little bit more so in here, and I get that, but um, the bar is set pretty high for class contribution from our, from our young people. So looking forward to the class. So 
Last week, uh, last week we uh, we got to defining truth, uh, and specifically, specifically the idea of of knowing truth and defining truth in what we know or what's been called a post-truth world. Right. So that's our first pop quiz question. What is what do we mean by what do we mean, what do we mean by post-truth, or what do they mean? Because you know, there is no post-truth world. There is the truth, right? But what is, what is generally meant by post-truth? And I will try to uh, summarize, if I may, your responses for those that might be listening on the live stream or listening at a, at a later date from our, uh, our, our, our archives online. Post-truth, what does it mean? Exactly right. Rel- relative to your circumstances, right? That your truth depends on how you feel about it. And in generally, especially speaking of feelings, post-truth basically means that it's true based more on how I feel about it than the facts regarding it, right? So that was, that was last week's discussion. We're not gonna, you know, we're not gonna, you know, really review that because we had a, we had a good discussion, but we're gonna move on. So last week kind of ended our part one of the class on developing a biblical worldview, right? So now it's time that we have built that worldview. It's time to start applying that worldview with different topics, different themes, different principles, different things that come at us, right? So I thought it would be good. I thought it would be good that that since we finished last week talking about the truth and what is the truth and can we know the truth, that we go 180 degrees away from that and talk about lying, talking about the opposite of truth, right? And you might think, well, is that really, is that really the most important thing that we could talk about when developing or applying, I should say, when applying a biblical worldview? Is, is lying the most important thing that we need to discuss? Well, considering that the truth is the truth, and if it's not the truth, it is a lie, then I think, yes, it is worth discussing. And it is worth studying, and it is worth challenging ourselves on this idea of how we should hold the truth with honor and regard and reverence. So, uh, a little bit of just a just a little bit of painting the picture. Um, these statistics come from uh, from a website called StatisticBrain.com, but. Uh, the percent of adults who admit to telling lies sometimes or often is 12%. The percent of women who admit to occasionally telling harmless half-truths is 80%, according to those two websites. Please don't throw anything at me. Percent of people who admit to lying on their resumes, 31%. Percent of patients who lie to their doctor, 13%. Percent of patients who, quote, stretched the truth to their doctor, 32%. Percent of patients who lied about following a doctor's treatment plan, 40%. Percent of patients who lied about their diet and exercise regimens, 30%. Percent of people who lie at least once during a 10-minute conversation, 60%. The average number of lies per day by men to their partner, boss, or colleagues was six per day. Average number of lies per day by women to their partner, boss, or colleagues, three per day, according to these statistics, right? So what's interesting about that, obviously, and hopefully, I wonder if anybody here has yet caught the irony of asking people to be honest about how much they lie, <laughs> right? So you can take, you can take those statistics with, uh, with a grain of salt, but the idea 
the idea of, of not telling the truth is something that is pervasive. And it's, it's dangerous um, because it's easy. All too often, it's easy. Um, the, um, the, a psychologist, Robert Feldman, uh, from the University of Massachusetts said, we use lies to grease the wheels of social discourse. It's socially useful to tell lies, according to, according to uh, Dr. Feldman. said, anything that is not accurate is a lie. You can argue that a lie done to make someone else feel better is relatively minor, but they have an effect. The bottom line that a lie is a lie. That's, the, that's what we have to hold to, that it is either the truth or it is a lie, right? So we think about, you know, the, the most popular reasons, the most popular reasons that people, you want to call it withholding the truth, you want to call it recrafting the truth, you want to call it, you know, outright lying, whatever it is, the, 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 the two most popular reasons are to either protect ourselves or to protect someone else, right? Um, at least when we think of well, why, you know, when we when we really get down to it, to the the categories, why why is lying so pervasive, right? And why is it so easy? Well, it's because it's either from a a, a standpoint of self preservation, or we believe falsely that it's in the best interests of someone else, right? So. We have to be careful about, you know, defining what lying is. Well, I mean, lie, you know, to utter a falsehood with an intention to deceive, to cause a, an incorrect impression, to present a misleading appearance. And sometimes we like to skirt around this idea of the truth. You know, we might uh, selectively withhold details, even though every detail we shared might have been true. We selectively withhold details to prevent the whole truth so that we can conveniently say, well, I didn't lie, right? Everything I said, everything I said was true, but was it the whole truth? Was it the truth of the matter? So again, why is this, why is this so important, right? This seems, I get it, I get that this seems somewhat elementary. Well, like, yeah, like, you know, but... Then if it's, if it's that elementary, then why do we find ourselves so, so tempted when we're, when we're in that tough spot, right? And why is it so important as we look at applying this biblical worldview and not letting anything pass that is not unbound to the scriptures in our lives? Well, I mean, we can look at verses like Proverbs 6, beginning of verse 16. These six things, these six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among brethren. Now, two of those, two out of the seven, two out of the seven involve telling the truth or not telling the truth, right? So we can say, well, you know, I mean, it's, it's, kind, of, it's kind of an elementary principle. Well, it's a, it seems to be a big deal to God according to the Scriptures, right? Proverbs 12, 22 says, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. That's, that's strong language. I don't, I don't want to be in that category. But those who deal truthfully are his delight, right? And we're familiar probably with Revelation 21, 8, but the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Lying is a big deal, 
right? Telling the truth and being of the truth. See, that's what, that's what it's really about, hopefully for us, is it's not necessarily telling a lie, it's being of the truth, right? A child of God who is striving to be faithful in all he or she does and is striving to faithfully apply the scriptures should be a person that doesn't just tell the truth, they are of the truth, right? If we really get down to fundamental foundational issues, because we want to be as much like God as possible. We want to be as much like Christ as we possibly can. Okay, so let's compare, let's compare God to the truth. We know that Titus 1-2 says God cannot lie. Right? And depending on what translation, depending on what translation you have, and I, I like to, you know, sometimes I like to compare uh, these, you know, so the King James, New King James, ASV, the New American Standard, and the uh, the Holman Christian Standard version all render that who cannot lie. The ESV says who never lies, right? Uh, the NIV, the New Living, and the Young's Literal says does not lie. Uh, the message even says that he doesn't break promises, right? Um, the, the better translation, according to the Greek, appears to me, the best translation to convey the idea is that he cannot lie, right? Now, there's a big difference in my mind between cannot and does not, Anybody want to parse that out? And I know that seems, I know that seems kind of nitpicky, right? But there's a difference in cannot, someone that cannot do something and someone who does not do something. What's the difference? Yes? The idea of, of choice. So when it comes to when it comes to God, God who cannot lie or God who does not lie, what's the difference there? Is is there a difference? Maybe I'm maybe I'm being too nitpicky. Maybe I need to tone down the word nerd. Yes. I look at it as capability. God is not the president. He can do anything. He's not a lie. Yeah, it's capability, right? There's a difference in saying, for example, I don't eat this versus I can't eat this, right? God who cannot lie versus God who does not lie. Chris, way in the back. So uh, when God says something, it becomes true. You know, he, he said, let there be light, and then it was. Therefore, if he were to say something that isn't true, it would then become true. Hence, he's not lying. Right, right. So Chris trying to melt brains back there from the from the back of the auditorium. Okay, but but I love I love what I love what he said that that what God says becomes true, right? Okay, God does not ha- he cannot he it is against his very nature, and that is our goal. As was said, it should be foundational to us if we are going to be Christians rightly dividing the word of truth, rightly applying the scriptures, that we should be someone of the truth. We should be someone that is working to be a person that cannot lie. Right? Brother Andrews. Yes. He it violates, it violates his nature. And that should, be, that should be our goal, right? It is against his nature. John 14, 6. Jesus speaking, I am the way, the truth, 
the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. We've talked about, we've talked about what the truth is. Right? John 17, 17, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. Psalm 31, verse 5, into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord God of truth. It is God is the truth. Right? What he says is not just true. It becomes true. It is the foundation. Right? Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. Right? So there is no, there is no separation. It's not even... You know, I, I, it doesn't even speak to it enough to say that the truth is a characteristic of Jesus. It is that he is the truth, right? So how much should we hold, how much should we hold to the importance of being a truthful person, of being a person, being a Christian that is of the truth, not just someone that tells the truth, but is of the truth. That is our goal, right? Because... Think about, again, think about the opposite. You know, we've gone, you know, we've gone from talking about the truth and absolute truth and the truth of God's word. We talked about that last week, going 180 degrees opposite to that because the source of lying is the opposite of God. Is it not? Okay. If you want to turn over to John chapter 8, okay, we can, I mean, we can look at this. John 8 and verse 44. I want you to, I want you to see this. I want you to read this. So that we, we, you know, as, as, as Glenn would say, put it way, way deep in your heart. John 8, 44, because it's, it's strong, it's strong language. And, and we should feel like it's strong language coming from the Lord. He said, you are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Now stop right there. We just talked about God is the truth. It's not just one of his characteristics. Like I said, I think, I think that's, that's too small. He is the truth. The devil, as the opposite, there is no truth. So you cannot get, you cannot get farther apart from God being the truth to the devil having no truth in him. Right? When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. That, that should scare us away from ever considering, am I going to lie to this person? Am I going to withhold the truth from this person? Because the truth is of God, and if it's not the truth, we see very clearly what the source of that non-truth is. Okay? And that's why it shouldn't, it shouldn't be taken lightly. Lying should be one of those, one of those capital offenses in your mind. Okay? And it should, it should hurt our conscience. It should bother us all the time. Right? So, again, so, so why, I mean, let's, let's get into it. Why, why, why do we do it? Why, I mean, why, why did, why, why do people, why do people lie? Right? And, and again, Brandon, go ahead. You just go to the verse before what we Jesus is asking a question. He says, why do you not understand what I say? It's because you cannot bear, bear near my word. The word for all is truthful. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. We, you know, when, when we get to define truth, man, life is so much more convenient, is it not? Right? 
that I, that I can, well, that, I, that, that truth doesn't, that, that doesn't really jive with where I want to be. Um, I, I, you know, that, that's really inconvenient. That truth is going to cause a separation between me and something I desire, me and someone that I want to maintain a relationship with. And all of those things, it's because, like we talked last week, the truth is exclusive. It draws hard lines. And if there's anything we don't want in a post-truth society... It's hard lines. We want convenience. We want comfort. We want to be okay with ourselves. We want everybody to be okay with us. And we want to say that we're okay with everybody else, right? It's because the truth is exclusive, right? When Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, the life, the article used there, I am the way, one. I am the truth, one. I am the life, one. No one, again, exclusive, no one comes to the Father but by me. Right, so we have all these reasons, and we have all of these, uh, you know, conveniences. You know, people lie to get more back on their taxes. Right, we live in a in a, in a loophole society. That if I can, if I can just, if I can just fudge this number a little bit, right, I can get this much. I can, this, you know, if I hold this back, I can, you know, I can do this. Um, you know, we, the statistics show that you know people lie on their resumes to get a job. People lie, people lie to get out of work. Right, when they call in sick. Right. Or to get out of trouble, right? To avoid hurting others' feelings, right? All of these can be justified in our human minds by how much or how little damage they're doing or how much damage they're saving, right? The idea that, the idea that, well, it's not hurting anybody, right? I didn't, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I, I didn't tell them the truth. But I mean, I did, I, I did it to save someone's feelings. I did it to save from hurting one's feelings. Or, or nobody knows. I mean, it's not, it's not really hurting anybody. Well, again, if we're trying to conform ourselves to the will of God, we're trying to conform ourselves to the mind of God, we can't fool ourselves into thinking that a little bit is okay. Right? Don Blackwell, in his, um, in his, in his book, The Truth About Moral Issues, said, we must not allow ourselves to measure sin by how much damage it does or does not do on this earth. Right? Sin is, and it's this, it's this what, I, what I call this false sense of security that the idea of moderation provides. Right? When you, when you read you know, Revelation 21.8 and it says that liars will not in, inherit the kingdom of God, that liars are destined for the lake of fire. Well, not many people would actually go so far as to calling themselves a liar, right? But what is a liar? One who lies, right? One who does not tell the truth. And again, we convince ourselves that, well, you know, you know, we've always called them, you know, we've always called them these, you know, little white lies or, or whatever. Well, it's called, well, they're not hurting anybody. And a matter of fact, according to that Dr. Feldman guy, you know, sometimes it's good because it helps what he said grease the wheels, right? So again, it's this idea, well, it's not extreme. And, and we, use, we use that logic and we use that justification for lots of things. Lots of things, whether it's lying, whether it's alcohol, whether it's this or that. So, well, just a little bit, right? And again, it's this false sense of security that the devil would love for us to live in that moderation is, is, what, we need to, is what we need to practice. So I did, some, I did some digging because, you know, if you've ever heard, if you've ever heard the phrase, well, you know, the Bible says all things in moderation, right? Anybody? Am I the, am I the only one that's ever heard that? You know, well, the Bible says all things in moderation, 
Right? I'm the only, literally, I'm the only one that's ever said, that's ever heard that. Okay, thank you, man. I thought that, Tom at least at least helped me out. I thought I was on an island out here. Okay. But, you know, this, this idea, well, you know, the Bible says all things in moderation. And so I looked, I did some Googling, and I know that's, I know that's dangerous, but, um, you know, basically I just Googled, where does the Bible say all things in moderation? Right? Because I, 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 I wanted to know. You know, I, I, I consider myself an amateur Bible student, and some of you would agree with that based on hearing me in class. Um, um, but, like, so where, where does that come from? Well, the best I could find was every, you know, every, um, every link kind of pointed back to Philippians 4. So if you'll turn with me over there to Philippians 4, um, and, and let's, let's look at where apparently, and, and again, you know, somebody, somebody can, can certainly correct me if I'm wrong, um, in, in private, please. Appreciate that. No, I'm kidding. Um, but this idea, Philippians 4 and verse 5, okay? The King James, the old King James says, let your moderation be known to all men, right? And every, everything I searched pointed back to that scripture, right? Because the word, the word moderation is there in the old King James. And, and from what I can, from what I can, you know, figure out is that this is the idea where, you know, all things in moderation, uh, has come from. Let your moderation be known, um, to all men. So again, we look at different translations, you know, the ESV reasonable, reasonableness, the New King James gentleness, American Standard young, liter, young literals, uh, forbearance, right? Okay. So we look at the, we look at the context, right? We're looking at this and is, is, you know, is, is Paul really writing to the Philippians by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, telling them to be moderate in all things, right? To practice moderation in all things. Well, so what are we supposed to be moderate about? If we use the King James word, what are we supposed to be moderate about in Philippians 4? Well, we look at verse 6. It says, do not be anxious about anything. Okay? So right off the bat, we're, we're t- like, we need to, we need to moderate our angst. Right? We need to moderate our worry. Well, well, cool. Yeah, that'd be great. How do, we, how do we do that? Okay. Verse 11, I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Right? And in between those verses, right, I know we're familiar with, with you know, uh, Philippians 4 and verse 8 when we look at that, you know, whatever's pure, whatever's good. How do we, how do we moderate our, our worry? How do we moderate our anxiety, our angst about things? Think on these things. Verse 8. Whatever is good, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever, whatever is of good report, right? Thinking and meditating and focusing our mind on those things helps us to balance or helps us to moderate our worry and our anxiety, right? Verse 11, like I said, I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Verse 12, I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need, Right? So I, the goal is for me to moderate my contentness, to moderate my, my, my worry, right? It's not to say that, well, all things in moderation. So if you do, if these things are bad, don't do them too much, right? That is not a biblical concept. Uh, Isaiah 59, 1 and 2 says, our iniquities have separated us from God. It does not say, it does not give an amount of that, right? How many, how many sins do you have to commit before you are against the will of God? Right? You cannot quantify, you cannot quantify that because our iniquity, period, 
right? So this idea, so the, you know, and, and what's interesting, you know, when we get to verse 13, we say, I can do all things. I can do all things. I can be content. I can regulate my, I can moderate my anxiety because I am putting my care on him that in whatever comes, whatever comes, I am going to trust. So that's where this idea of moderation comes from. And what's interesting as far as what we are actually scripturally looking to uh, have our reasonableness known, our gentleness known among men. But this, you know, all things in moderation has actually come from a Greek poet in 700 BC who wrote, observe due measure, moderation is best in all things. Okay? And again, if we're going to be, um, if we're going to be children of God and we're going to be students of His Word in an effort to apply His Word to the very best of our ability, let's do Bible things in Bible ways. Let's speak what the Bible says, okay? And not just assume, well, you know, the Bible says this. Well, does it? Right? So let's get into it. Let's, let's dig in and remember who we are supposed to be. Right? First Peter 2, verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. I don't think anyone would, would, would describe a liar as honorable, right? I think pretty, you know, pretty universally, uh, in, in, in most, uh, human cultures, we would say that honor and being truthful um, are linked, right? You know, uh, a universally condemned trait has to be hypocrisy, right? I don't think I don't think anybody is getting far in any culture in any society by saying one thing and and doing another. So if we are going to be honorable, we need to be people of the truth, right? Proverbs twenty two verse one says, "A good name is to be more desired than great wealth." Favor is better than silver and gold. What does it do to someone's name? What does it do to someone's reputation? Who is who plays fast and loose with the truth? Right? What do you think? What do you think when you're talking to someone and they have a reputation of not always being truthful? Right? And they, and 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 what that does to that person's to that person's character. Titus begin Titus two beginning in verse eleven. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Teaching, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. Okay? Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify himself, purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. You want to stand out? You want to be different? Tell the truth all the time. <laughs> Right now, and that's sad. That's sad to say. But if you want to be contrary to current culture, okay, tell the truth all the time. Now, you know, I I would be very quick to say that hopefully we all understand that none of this is a license to hurt people. Right? We should never we should never use the truth as a bludgeon. Right? And the same the same way you know we you know the scriptures are the divinely inspired word of God, okay? But the way to influence them, influence people with the scriptures is not to beat them over the head with the Bible, right? So we still have a responsibility for our speech 
to be full of grace, seasoned with salt, but we're not going to compromise the truth. Okay, we've already talked about Jesus' interaction with the rich young ruler and how Mark's account records that he looked at him and loved him and told him the truth. Right? Herbert Agar has uh, probably my favorite quote outside of Scripture about the truth. It says, the truth that men need to hear is the truth that they prefer not to hear. Right? So it's, it's this idea that you know, we, have to be, we have to be of the truth Right? Because what is, what is the alternative? If we're not of the truth, if we're not of God, if we're not truthful people, okay, then we can't be, we can't be of God. Hebrews 12, 14 says, Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. We would all do well, I think, myself included, of course. We would all do well to spend more time contemplating and appreciating what holiness actually means, right? Are we, how, how diligent are we? How much do we care about being holy, right? So that other people, when they see us, they will see an accurate representation of the Lord. Are we going to get that wrong? Of course we're going to get it wrong, okay? We're going to mess that up, Right? And the idea, the idea that people look at us as Christians and might see an image of Christ should scare us, right? Because we are so far unable to fully represent Christ, right? But that is what we are called to do, right? And that, and that should, that should motivate us to always tell the truth and to be of the truth as Christ is the truth. Yes, sir. Based on everything you've said thus far, the phrase you mentioned early on, the Bible says everything in moderation. Well, again, based on everything you've said thus far, do you mean to say that phrase indicates a mindset where following God is concerned that close enough is good enough? Is that what is that what you're saying that phrase means? My understanding, my, and thank you for that question, my, my understanding of that phrase, when that phrase gets, gets brought up as all things in moderation, you know, is it's usually couched in an idea of just don't go to excess, right? Like lying, you know, lie, you know, well, you're only really a liar if you lie all the time. But, you know, I mean... You know, stretching the truth every now and then, you know, just, well, you don't, I mean, you don't want to tell that person, you know, that the truth is going to hurt that person's feelings, right? And again, especially, you know, especially with, you know, other, you know, other sinful activities, you know, alcohol, you know, well, you know, it's just excess, excess is really what's wrong. That's, that's the idea that usually gets presented at, well, you know, all things, all things in moderation, which turns out, at least from what I can tell, is more of a uh, cultural, um, cultural idiom. Than, than, than anything, than anything else. Similar to, similar to the idea, well, you know, the Bible says God helps those that help themselves. Right? Um, and, you know, we, we hear that, we hear that phrase and, you know, and we just, oh, yeah, you know. But what, what does the Bible actually say? That's our goal. Brother Glenn. It's important to realize that the Bible never teaches us to sin in moderation. Exactly. Yeah, it, you know, uh, the, you know the, there is no, again, there is no moderate level that makes sin okay. The Bible is never going to teach, and it does not teach, that, that any sinful activity would be considered acceptable as long as it is not to excess. Mark Bailey. 
For those that for those that can hear Mark talking about you know calling lying a, a gateway sin, much like a gateway drug, it is the it is the linchpin that just you know facilitates more and more more and more sin. Okay, other comment. Exactly. Yes, ma'am. Comment. Well, when it comes to the all things in moderation, uh, when it comes to things like worship, prayer, study, we are, you know, commanded to pray without ceasing, things like that. So it's, you know, we are commanded not to sin, and we are commanded, we are instructed to pray without ceasing. So all things in moderation is just canceled out by the things that are instructed in life. It's a great point. Great point, and you know, and we're all we're all familiar. At least I hope we're all familiar with how the Lord feels about lukewarmness, right? Okay, I would that you would I would rather that you were cold or hot, right? So this idea this idea of, of moderation about not no we should be zealous, right? We should be extreme in our devotion to the Lord, and and that that zealous that zealousness should manifest itself in how serious we take applying this biblical worldview, okay? So we have to remember, you know, Galatians 3.27, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, right? We are wearing the name of Christ. And are we really going to be okay with wearing the name of Christ and allowing something that is his opposite to leave our mouths, right? Yes, sir. To follow your line of reasoning, we wear the name of Christ in moderation, quote unquote. I don't think so. Right. Exactly. Exactly. You know, and again, and I appreciate. Uh, you know, I, I'm always looking to, to steal ideas or springboard off other ideas. You know, we spent we spent we spent time this morning discussing Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Okay, and prior to that, um, Glenn mentioned you know Daniel interpreting Nebuchadnezzar's first dream about the golden statue and all that. Well, it's interesting that over in Daniel 4, there is a second dream, right? There's a second dream, and I believe it's verse 19, where after, after Nebuchadnezzar has explained what this dream he had and calls on Daniel to interpret it, okay, the, the scriptures say that Daniel was astonished by that. And I looked, and I'm like, what does, that, what, does that, what does that word mean? Does that mean that he was, he was impressed, right? No, the, no he, was, he, was, he was troubled, Right? He was astonished, he was a troubled, he was troubled and, and gravely troubled about what that dream meant. So in that moment, in that moment, right, and we think about why people lie, it's you know, to get out of trouble, right? In that moment, there is one human being on the face of the planet that knew what that dream meant. One. 
And why was he troubled? Because he knew it was bad news for the king. He knew it was going to, it was, it was bad news for, for Nebuchadnezzar. So one human being on the planet knows the truth. And that truth is going to be very inconvenient to Nebuchadnezzar. Right? And Daniel is troubled by that. And in that moment, in his mind, we can see that he has a, he has a decision to make. If I tell Nebuchadnezzar this, it's going to be really, really bad news. Right? Now, as we know, and again, pulling, you know, pulling a point from Glenn's lesson, Daniel didn't have to make up his mind whether he was going to tell the truth or not. That decision had been made long before he was in that situation. But I pull, I pull that out to show in worldly reasoning, Daniel was the only person that knew the truth and had every reason to withhold that truth. Right? Because Daniel could have said anything he wanted to about that dream, and no other human being would have known the truth, right? But obviously we know, like, God knows. God knew what the truth was. Daniel knew, and it was because of his conviction to serve the Lord even when it's inconvenient, to serve the Lord even when it means that it is going to put separation, enmity between you and someone else, not on our part, of course, right? At least I hope, not on our part, okay? But regardless of the circumstance, regardless of the fallout, regardless of the consequence, this is the truth, right? Now, and again, Daniel continues to provide a good example for us because how does he respond to Nebuchadnezzar? And I'm paraphrasing. He says, I wish this was going to happen to somebody else. I wish this was going to happen to your enemies. But here's what's going to happen, right? I wish, this, I wish that I didn't have to tell you this, but I do have to tell you this because it's the truth. You asked me for the truth. So I am obligated by my conviction and my devotion to the one who is the truth to tell you that truth. And that's hard. It's hard, right? When you're sitting across the table, right, or you're looking across at a loved one, right, and you know, you know the truth is going to create conflict, Right? Whether it's another family member, right? another church member, whatever it is, you know that the truth is hard to say. But it doesn't change the fact that it's the truth. Right? And again, we have a responsibility to make sure that we are always speaking the truth in love, but, but speaking in love does not change and should not change what is or is not the truth. Right? And Daniel, that, that, um, that, that account there in Daniel 4, um, I think is a great, I think is a great example. You know, Ananias and Sapphira, you know, they had, they had every, you know, they had every reason to do with whatever they wanted to with the land that they sold. They were the only ones, they were the only ones that knew the truth. Well, again, when you realize, no, God knows the truth. Right? So we can, we can fool ourselves into thinking, well, I can say this, and I'm the only one that knows any better. Right? When we do that, though, we're violating Scripture. We're violating the will of God, and we're violating the name of Christ that we are, that we are wearing. Um, and, you know, it comes, and I, know the, I know the first bell is already wrong, so, so you know, the second bell is going to catch us here momentarily. But um, don't let anyone, if I can summarize this really, really quickly, don't let anyone try to convince you that lying is okay in certain circumstances because of uh, accounts like Rahab and accounts like the Hebrew midwives and, and things like that, okay? Um, 
be very careful to understand that, again, God is the source of the truth, that he is the truth. As was said, everything that God says is the truth. Okay? Every mention of Rahab in an honorable, uh, in an honorable, you know, in an honorable mention, I should say, um, is not, she is not honored because she is a liar or because she lied, right? Um, you know, the Hebrew midwives were recognized because they honored God. And again, we can talk about, you know, we can talk about God using flawed people. We can talk about God using anything to his, uh, to his purpose. But let's be careful and not let people defame the truth of the word of God in, in, in convincing us that lying is okay in some circumstances because of people like Rahab and because of people like the Hebrew midwives. Okay? Um, we're going to stop there. Second Bell has called us. Really, really appreciate the, uh, the conversation and the discussion. And uh, looking forward to the next time, Lord willing. Thank you all. Yes, Oh, yes. Help in the, uh, help in the fellowship hall. Uh, and I'm sure we've got a, a, a large group of eager people right over here in this corner, Brother Glenn Holmes. So um, just, uh, just grab whoever you need. Okay? Thank you all. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word. If you would like to continue your study of New Testament Christianity, please send your name and address to World Bible School, West Huntsville Church of Christ, 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Or if you prefer, send your name and address by email to wbs at westhuntsville.org.